I see a lot of millennials who really care about what's happening in their community. I don't know if it's because they saw what happened during the recession. They saw what happened to their family and their friends. I don't know what it is, but these are people who you know, really are engaged and they care. Hello, welcome back to the show, guys. Thank you for joining me today. On this episode of the show, I won't do a long intro because I want to get to the conversation. And it's a long one, but I didn't want to edit it because I didn't want to edit out anything once I heard the audio because there's so much great information that the guest shares. And today's guest is Ron Nesbitt. Um, He's going to introduce himself right at the beginning, so I won't be redundant. But this has to be one of my favorite conversations because... He really opened up himself and shared how he became involved in the work that he does and how his civic engagement involved um, using his skills, his talent in a unique way to add his perspective and his voice to figure out the types of service that would best suit him. And that's something that I'm still growing through and learning through. And that's a real challenge for a lot of people who are trying to find their place uh, in nonprofit, in being more civically engaged. And I I love that sense of finding your role, your special gifts. And he does a fantastic job of really explaining that as well as really practical and specific things regarding nonprofit management and tax law. And, you know, he has a gift for presenting very complex ideas in simple ways and he has very real worlds and practical advice that I've listened to over and over. I mean this audio is one that I've had for a few weeks now and I've just continually found new nuggets that I can use and that I need to be thinking over as I was going through the process of reviewing it. So without any further ado, welcome to the interview and I know you're going to enjoy it. Good morning. My name is Ron Nesbitt. I am the Vice President of Risk Management at McCoy Federal Credit Union here in Orlando. I met you at a nonprofit workshop, and uh, we had a chance to talk there. The reason I was at the nonprofit workshop is part of the McCoy Cares Outreach Program. This McCoy Cares Outreach Program is consistent with the way that I got involved in a lot of the civic engagement in my early childhood years and you know, all the way through to my career, beginning with my parents sending us out to visit the sick and to assist elderly people, and then you know, right through to my career over the years of just providing you know, various volunteer services to people who couldn't afford you know, particular services, including you know, during my years practicing law when I noticed that a lot of the clients that I uh, was serving at the time were people who could afford a lot of the sophisticated tools that I had to offer, but there were more people in the community who were interested in doing very significant work, some through nonprofit or, you know, as we say, tax-exempt organizations, but didn't always have the resources to be able to afford some of the services and sometimes weren't aware of what was available to them. And that's largely how I got started. And I wanted you to introduce yourself because you have such a long and impressive resume and it's so varied. I didn't know, I said, what would Ron say about himself? If he had to introduce, what would you include? And I think you did a fantastic job of encapsulating it, your legal experience and how you used your knowledge to try to help empower others. And that's what 
really drew me to the message you had during your presentation because your presentation when we met was all about nonprofit organizations, but it was clear in your descriptions and how you were discussing it in very real world terms that there was a passion there and a real concern for the grassroots organizations. And I'm just wondering, is it that past from how you mentioned growing up? Is that where that came from? Or is this something you just later developed as you were working in the field, this focus on helping sort of the smaller scale, the grassroots organizations who are trying to do community level work locally? I would have to say it most certainly started from my childhood. I would like to say that I had some sort of genetic disposition for it, but it really was that my parents were trying to help, you know, lots of people. You know, I, I, was, I would call when I was younger, and I was doing a paper on the Great Depression. And mm-hmm. I grew up in a very small town where people are you know, very close and connected, and you help one another. And I was doing this paper about the Great Depression, and I remember going to interview my grandmother. And what I learned about the Great Depression was markedly different than what she described. She said the Great Depression was a wonderful time because people were so helpful and neighbors were helping one another. People would share food. People would help with chores. People would watch other people's children. And everyone could relate to one another because they were all, you know, relatively similarly situated. And I was like, Mm -hmm. oh, that's not quite what I learned in school. But that same spirit was evident throughout that community. And I remember, for example, going, there was a lady named Miss Tucker who lived down the street from us, and she couldn't see. She was blind. And I would go to her house three times a week to do chores for her. There was another woman down the street from her who was totally disabled and couldn't do anything for herself, and I would go and do chores for her. And I just came to understand that there are many times when people still have needs and they just can't do for themselves. And this is sort of where I place nonprofits. What I've told people over the years is that the wonderful space for nonprofits and getting the work done that they do is that very often they're doing the kind of work in the communities that government can't do and that private industry won't do. It's really because they're not equipped for that. And so there's got to be a gap field there. And that's why I think that it's important to help empower those people, to educate those people, to make sure that they have the tools and the understanding about what it is they're doing so that they can be effective at what they're doing to fill the needs within the community. I think that's amazing. So that was you growing up in Texas. It started very early on for you. So you moved to Florida for work, and then you continued on kind of working with organizations or helping volunteer through the nonprofit field because you were new here. How did you get started in doing kind of volunteer community engagement here in Florida? Well, first of all, I, would, I have to say I moved to Florida because of marriage. My <laughs> my wife was here, and she said, well, I don't want to have to call you long distance. And so I said, well, I moved to Florida. But when I came to Florida, that I began to practice law. And it's really there where you can see a lot of disparities. And so mm. I went to, to FAMU Law, and then I later went to the University of Florida to do my LLM in tax, a master's in tax. And while I was at FAMU, there's a lot of community engagement. You, you know, FAMU is situated right in the Paramore community. And so you've got the Callahan Center right down the road. There are lots of programs around. And they had a clinic where you could volunteer and help, you know, the poor and underprivileged. And so that was a way to really continue, you know, some of that work. And then when I, you know, really began to practice law, because I practice in an area that is slightly different. So you're really only concerned about tax issues primarily, and this is really a general statement, but if you're concerned about tax issues, that means you're generating a lot of revenue. 
Mm-hmm. And so you're trying to reduce the amount of money that is going to the government rather than staying with you. You're just trying to make your operations more efficient. Well, if you don't have a lot of resources, that's not what you're doing. I could see that disparity between the people that, you know, and the companies that I might have been helping at that time and those people who just didn't have. So, for example, I might spend my time on transactions involving investment banking or hedge funds or private equity, capital management, public finance. And so those are places where there are lots of resources. And it's Mm -hmm. a different sort of equation. But some of the principles that apply to those transactions also apply to people who lack. And so if I'm in a situation where the money that I do have is relatively smaller, then in some cases you could make an argument that it's even more important to be more efficient with those resources. And that's exactly where a lot of nonprofits are. The idea behind tax-exempt organizations and the government giving up that money is that those organizations are relying on public support. You can make contributions to this organization and you take those contributions that you're getting from the public and you're doing good for the public and you have to do that in a responsible way. And so people just need to be aware of that and to have training around that. So your desire to help with creating training around that, that's what led to your financial literacy workshops that you would do at the community level? Yes, financial literacy workshops mm-hmm. is part of teaching compliance around nonprofits. It's just being more aware of what your options are with the resources that you have. One of the things, too, that I really appreciated about your presentation was how clear it was, but how practical. The topics when you're going into tax law and things like this, and it's very intimidating for the layperson who doesn't have that knowledge, but it's really nice the way that you can break it down. It seems like you've had a lot of experience. So I think that's what's beneficial about the service that you offer is that this is something that will be very expensive, this kind of kind of expertise. And so I'm wondering for people who don't have access to Ron, is it, what would be a resource or two to help them, I guess two sides of it, for someone who's involved in nonprofit work and wants to make sure they're in compliance, what are one or two things you would suggest to them? And I guess my follow-up would be of someone who's volunteering, what are one or two things you suggest to them to look for in companies, organizations who are doing good work but are also in compliance so they're not liable later? Sure, sure. For the first, and thank you for the compliment. For the first question, where do you go to get information about how to remain compliant? The IRS tax-exempt organization in the division does a wonderful job of providing educational material. You can go right to their website. They even have these cartoons that explain how tax-exempt organizations work and what you can do to comply. So that's one level. The next level of information the IRS provides is this set of publications specifically about tax-exempt organizations and how to comply. And when we talk about tax-exempt organizations, I mean, there are all kinds ranging, you know, as we talked about during the workshop from hospitals. Mm -hmm. So you take Florida Hospital, I mean, that's a tax-exempt organization to the organization where I work at here at McCoy. We're a nonprofit financial cooperative to the Women's Center, to certain schools, those are tax-exempt organizations, churches, those are tax-exempt organizations. And Mm -hmm. so the IRS has lots of publications specifically for those kinds of organizations in places where there are issues that impact those organizations differently. And so that's a great resource, and I'm not sure that enough people are aware of it. 
and I direct people there all the time. For volunteering, as a volunteer, you can go out once you decide that you found an organization that matches up with what your beliefs and your passions are. You can also go to the IRS site to see what that organization should and shouldn't be doing. But I always encourage people to go and do a little bit of volunteer work with that mm-hmm. organization to get an idea about who it is they're working with. And then I encourage them to get to know the people who are on the board to figure out whether these people have integrity, whether they're you know, really committed to the work that they're doing, see how they make decisions. And then if you can, participate on the board. And that way you get a really good insight about how the organization operates. Now, some people might say, I don't, I don't really want to be on the official board itself. Some organizations have advisory boards. And so mm-hmm. you can be on the advisory board, you can participate that way. Some organizations have committees, so you can participate on those committees, and that will give you an inside idea about how that organization works and whether it's really using its resources. And resource is not just money, but it's also their reputation, their resources, include their relationships in the community, and you want to find out whether they're using those resources to achieve that specific purpose that they're chartered to try to solve and and assist with. Now, you mentioned uh, the possibility of joining the board of directors, and I can't let you pass that one because you absolutely shocked me when you mentioned how, if you're on the board of directors, that you might need to have liability insurance. Absolutely. Um, I had never even had that thought, and that was such an eye-opening thing. Could you explain sort of reasoning why you suggest that and what that would look like as far as obtaining that kind of insurance? There is always the feel-good side of doing good for other people, but there are some very real concerns about being on the board. If you're an organization that employs people, you're responsible for, here's one example, payroll taxes. And if you don't pay those payroll taxes, the IRS will look at management of the organization, but then it'll look also to the board members. That's one reason. There are other reasons if, you know, if you're involved in an organization and we're in the era of Me Too, that, Mm -hmm. you know, sexual harassment runs rampant. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't say that, right? Maybe it doesn't run rampant, but there's more. No, it's an issue. Know, there's yeah. more publicity around it, certainly. I'll say yeah. that. Yeah. And so, you know, that's another area where there can be some liability. Let's say that you're delivering food, right? And so you're delivering food and you've got a vehicle and that vehicle is involved in an accident and somebody's driving it. I mean, there is some liability, you know, for the organization and possibly for, you know, for the board there. If you think about just some of the practical activities that do involve some risk, the same way that they involve risk in our regular lives and we take precautions to mitigate those risks through insurance and other controls, then the same apply to these organizations. And so as a board member, you have to just be aware that the decisions that you make to mitigate those risks, if you don't mitigate them, can come back on you. And it's nice to have a couple things. Like we talked about insurance, but then Mm -hmm. it's nice to have bylaws in place that help to shield the board from some of that liability also. I'm wondering when it comes to the nonprofit field, a lot of it is, you know, you're passionate about a particular topic, you know, you've been infected by something, you've been impacted by something, and you want to do some good and some service. What you're talking about adds a practicality to it, thinking about insurance, thinking about how you want to do your bylaws, thinking about what goes into creating a functional organization at whatever level you're at. What are maybe one or two things that you see that at the beginning aren't really taken in consideration maybe because of all the passion and you know, excitement about it, but that kind of sets the tone for whether or not an organization is going to have legs in a year, two years, or beyond. The formation documents 
talk about the bylaws. I mean, that's just one aspect of it. One of the things I really encourage people to do is when they're doing the application to become tax exempt is to look closely at those questions on there. And so for a lot of people, that's the IRS Form 1023. I mean, you can do it online now if you've got a smaller organization under certain limits, but I still encourage people to look at the full-blown 1023 and to look at those activities and to think about what those activities are that you intend to do as an organization and how you intend to accomplish them. And that's a really critical part of the planning process. Put a pin in that just for a second because the very next thing that I think really, really important that people don't think about is who they decide to be board members and officers in their organization. So one of the most critical things I think that people should think about that they don't always think about, how can the board members and people who manage the organization help? So I think it's helpful to have someone on the board who has good leadership and integrity. But beyond that, they also need to have good relationships in the community so mm-hmm. that they can help you identify resources. I think they need to have good marketing background. There needs to be somebody who is competent handling finances. I think there needs to be somebody on the board who can help with compliance. And I think there needs to be somebody who can just have a good vision about how you can bring all these things together to accomplish what you want to accomplish. Now, the alternative to that is to merely get your friends who are hyped up just like you are and family members to be involved on your board, and that's the risk. Yeah. Yeah, you you discourage having or just kind of caution some of the issues that can arise when you have relatives on the board, and I think you also encourage having an odd number of members on the board in case for voting and things like that, which I think is useful to think about. That's right, for gridlock. Yeah, and so it really, it sounds like the person who is, or the people who are founding these nonprofits have to kind of do a self-assessment, right? So if you know you're strong in an area, you have to assess where you're weak and get people around you that you're going to listen to to help strengthen you. Like maybe you're not the marketing person. Maybe you are the visionary, but you don't have the practical financial skills. So you need to really be strategic about who you're deciding to be on the board and work with you based on, you know, your your own kind of limitations, right? Absolutely. And a big part of that, again, is, you know, I, I said it a few minutes ago, is, you know, just also having someone on the board who is, connected to the community, who can spread a message about what it is you're doing, but who can also go out and get resources for you. Someone who has relationships with larger companies that, as part of their initiatives, provide funding to the nonprofit organization. Mm-hmm. And, and, what, and the reason you want to do this is because at some point, you know, the idea is that, one, you want your organization to be sustainable, right? Mm-hmm. So you don't want to start it today and then in a year or two it's gone. So you want it to be around. And then number two, you want to have an organization that can withstand the transparency that is necessarily part of the organization. So there are two kinds of transparency. There's one that all the public sees because what you do is transparent when you do your tax filing. But the other part of the transparency is the donors need to be able to see, to look into your organization, to see that you are making good use of your resources and that there are not going to be any scandal, there's not going to be any private environment, I think I talked about that just a little bit, where you're Mm -hmm. taking benefit for yourself. One of the dangers of having family members, you introduce the problem of uh, insiders. And so those are the kinds of things that you just want to think about as well. And and that's why, you know, proposing that it's it's really a more objective approach to forming and organizing and operating. Uh, yeah. I'm concerned about. 
it's a needed perspective, you know, because there's so much passion, but the passion kind of can run its course when you're doing something for a long period of time when you haven't taken care of the practicalities, right? So you can have exciting ideas, but you haven't put the bones in place to sustain it or to make it successful or really have an impact on the community you're trying to have a positive impact on, right? You're doing more harm than good. And so mentioning the tax, that public transparency, uh, two resources that um, you'd mentioned was the 990 tax form to review and then using the GuideStar website to kind of look up nonprofits and see their ratings to see what their standing is, especially if you're going to be partnering or donating or getting involved with a nonprofit. That gives you a glimpse, a public glimpse as to how they function. Right, and so the the key about the 990 is that'll give you some idea about how they're spending their resources, who's involved in the organization. You can clearly see it, right? And so you can know if you want to know something about you know the people who are involved in the organization and what their experience is and what the track record has been. You can see what those are, and then you can see what percentage of the monies that are being collected from an organization are actually going out and impacting the community. One of the things I talked about at the workshop was that it's important for nonprofit organizations to measure the impact that they're having because that gives you some indication of, you know, whether you're really fulfilling your purpose. If you think about getting past the first two or three years, in the first two or three years, a lot of your, for most organizations, a a lot of your donations are going to be coming from individuals. But after that organization is seasoned, then they want to be able to get money or donations from larger organizations. Locally, you know, you think about Disney or Universal, and they do donations for lots of organizations, but they first want to see that you're seasoned and that you're properly organized and that there's no impropriety going on in your organization. They want to know that you've been able to sustain yourself for sometimes up to five years before they'll Mm -hmm. make a commitment to you. And so if you haven't done the things that we're talking about, if you haven't taken these into consideration, then you lessen the likelihood that you're going to get the support from those larger organizations, which could really make a big difference in you achieving whatever purpose your organization is set out to achieve. You mentioned a few times the importance of having people either whether it's the board or as someone who's interested in being in a nonprofit as a profession, to be connected to the community they're serving in. And so I'm wondering, how do you stay connected? I mean, in the service that you do and the work that you do, is that a part of it? And if it is, how do you stay connected to what's going on in this sphere and make sure you're kind of aligning your civic engagement or your community outreach in the right direction? Well, it works out perfectly now. When I was practicing law, I had to make a conscious effort to take the time to go into the community centers, to go and talk to people, to go to the hospitals, to talk to people. I would, you know, essentially talk and do workshops for anybody who would listen just as part of my outreach. It's a lot easier now that I'm with McCoy because McCoy has an initiative where we're deeply involved in the community and we support a lot of organizations. And so as part of the McCoy Cares initiative, we're out in the community all the time. And the wonderful thing is that people bring ideas to us all the time. They Mm. come to us with ideas that they are trying to support and they need support for. And so then we become aware of more things simply because I'm here. And so it's a two-way street now. Mm -hmm. It's it's built into into my job because we are more aware and because we've been here for 65 years and we've been involved in so many organizations all throughout the Central Florida community. And then I get to bring some of those additional ideas in. Is that a part of why you chose that job, that ability to kind of marry those two parts of your interests together so that what you do for a living is actually a part of what you feel like your outreach is, like your give back? Yes, mm-hmm. yes it is yeah. part. 
and talk about lucky. I mean, it's just, you know, I would like to say dumb luck that, you know, <laughs> that I <laughs> really, that I ended up here, you know, going into any organization. Uh, McCoy was looking, uh, actively looking for, you know, someone. I didn't know that it was McCoy and, and I was sort of lukewarm interested because I didn't know who the employer was, but once I found out it was McCoy, and I'm not sure if you know, the CEO here is, the president and CEO is Alvin Cowens. So mm-hmm. I knew Alvin Cowens. Yeah, so I knew Alvin Cowens because he was constantly in the community. And so if you're out in the community looking at people who are supporting the community, you'll find him. And that's how I got to know who he was because at all these organizational events, I would see him out providing support, and then I would see McCoy and McCoy Cares. And so then when I found out it was them, I was like, oh, well, hey, I want to mm-hmm. go there. And so mm-hmm. that's what I mean. It was just, it was just dumb luck. So uh, I think you're intentional. I think, you know, you put that energy out there, you put the work in, and it came back to you. And I love this story because it's this idea, and I think we talked about it briefly, but that people have to find a way to be of service in a way that makes sense for them. Like, everyone's not going to want to be on the ticket line. Everyone is not going to want to, you know, go and march on Washington or talk to politicians or be a policy person or policy wonk. But you find an area that is interesting to you. You find your skills, your talents, and you find out how you can help in the ways that make sense for you on the issues that make sense for you. And that's the best marriage. And I think that's what you've done. Yeah, you're right. I, I, I sort of joked uh, when we talked before that I'm never going to be able to do ticketing and marching. Right. <laughs> Either because it's hot or because it's hard work, right? I just, I'm not that dude. But right. we, we need people who do that, right? And I have friends who do that. And yeah. I yeah. am very often in awe of them that they can do that. Right. But that's not, you know, what my talents and abilities are. What I do have is a specific knowledge that is relatively unique. And I have this experience that I've had over the years from teaching and working with lots of organizations. I was thinking uh, earlier about uh, some of the workshops I've done with Lee Brevard and Public Allies and, you know, over at UCF. And I was just thinking about all of these organizations I've had the privilege of being involved with and teaching, but also learning from them. And so if at some of the workshops it sounds like it's easier for me to talk about it, it's because I've had lots of questions thrown at me that I had to think about. You get that perspective from these organizations about what it is they really want. Yeah, what I try to avoid is I didn't want the information to be esoteric, but it's got to be something that people can apply. Yes, that's the thing that you do well. (laughs) I could talk to you about all the, you know, the IRS. I could talk to you about treasury regulations, but you don't care about that. What What you really care about is, how do I make sure that if we have employees that we're paying our payroll taxes properly? Right. How do I make sure that when I submit a fundraising request to an organization that it has all the proper components you know, necessary to ensure the likelihood that I'll get that request fulfilled? Yeah, and it's what's needed, too, because so many great nonprofits and people who have a passion would do fantastic, but the idea of starting a nonprofit or being involved in it seems so overwhelming and out of reach. Right. That's something for somebody else. Or you start it and you don't know you don't have any business background and you don't have mentorship. And so you don't know what you don't know. And they go under and it's like, well, but you were doing really good work. And so that practicality in within all the passion is so needed. Two more questions for you before you go. Um, I'm wondering, 
because civic engagement is sort of the focus and a focus of the audience that I'm talking to usually are people who are millennials, Generation Z, who are trying to become more civically engaged and or people who are trying to work with and reach that, those demographics, that those communities. I'm wondering, have you seen a shift in the, say, the last few years of interest in nonprofit work? Have you seen the demographics of people starting or being a part of nonprofits changing or the type of people going into this or, you know, taking that next step of starting their own initiatives? Have you seen any demographic sort of changes, especially maybe locally, in the work that you're yes. doing in the community? Yes. I love millennials. Millennials are a focus of interest, you know, for a lot of reasons. And people, you know, sometimes, you know, complain about millennials. And I'm like, well, that, that was really just, you know, you at a different phase in your life. The difference with millennials is that this is a generation that really does care. And they are driven by making an impact. And that is a real big difference. There was a time, and I'm, I hate to have to say this, but there was a time when I would see people who would get involved with nonprofits because they were looking for a personal benefit. Mm -hmm. And that's just not true now. I see a lot of volunteerism. I see a lot of millennials who really care about what's happening in their community. I don't know if it's because they saw what happened during the recession. They saw what happened to their family and their friends. I don't know what it is, but these are people who you know really are engaged and they care. It's not just nonprofits, but it's just across the board. I mean, millennials are finding lots of different ways to engage with the community at large, whether it's for capitalism or nonprofit. But certainly that has been a really big shift. And I started noticing that you know, probably about five or six years ago, I would notice that a lot of the groups who would ask me to come to speak were millennials. I was like, wow, this is interesting. Right? At a time when a lot of young folks are out trying to make their way and make their money, make their mark in, in some industry, these are people who are also thinking about whether there are additional ways that they can improve the quality of life in their community for other people. Perhaps it's tied to your grandmother's story. When your grandmother said that during the Depression was the best time, I think to bring it full circle, I think that a piece of it, for some people at least, is you did live through the Great Recession. You did sort of graduate college, undergrad, with debt, and the job market wasn't there. And so this has been a very difficult time financially and economically and sometimes politically, depending on where you're standing. Politics have been volatile. And so I think that has forced a community-mindedness. Because you need each other, sure. right? Like, you can't afford to live on your own, so you have to partner and work together and barter and have different gigs and side jobs and share apartments and spaces. And so it kind of forced this civic engagement. It became more practical in a way out of necessity. So I can see I can see why that might be true. Yeah. For sure, and and the and the economy, you know, is mm -hmm. right. I mean, it's a huge part of it. It's funny what you just said is that you know having roommates, right? I was just having this conversation with someone yesterday, right? So we're at a time now when housing costs are very high, and so to buy your first home for a lot of people is, you know, it can be very expensive. But even rents are high, and particularly if we think about Central Florida. Central Florida is just booming and expected to be you know, about. 4 million people in 2026, and then another, certainly 10 years after that, up to 8 million people. That's a lot of people in the Central Florida area. That's a lot of opportunity to assist people. And there will invariably be, unfortunately, some people who you know might be left behind. And that's a reality. And I think that the more civic engagement we have, the better. But what's really exciting about it is that at the core of it, people care. And the people who are caring happen to be millennials and, quite frankly, I think Generation Z. You know, we see, we're seeing some statistics come out about, you know, their view of the world. And that yep. matters. 
It's funny you say that because I'm on a committee because affordable housing is an, is an interest of mine and one of the main topics I want to get into this year. But it's something I've been talking about and trying to research on for years. But the whole committee that I'm on are largely made up of millennials because it's people who are either are, you know, finishing college, trying to get a place, move out of the university housing, or you've been living on your own for a long time and you notice that every year your rent is going up. So it's funny. Literally, it was, what, two days ago. I went to a meeting and it was made up of largely young people trying to figure out how they're going to afford to live here and sustain a quality of life. So I totally agree. So uh, one last question for you. I always want to, you know, pick someone's brain like yours who has had experience. What is one or two things you would say to somebody who is sort of starting out trying to figure out a way for themselves to be involved and give back or be a part of their community and figure out what does that civic engagement term mean to them? What are one or two things you would give as advice or things you wish you knew when you were starting out that would have saved you some problems along the way? One, I would say get out and explore. You know, you got to figure out what it is you are excited and passionate about. And the only way you know that is to get out and figure out what your options are. So mm-hmm. I would encourage people to try to figure out what the landscape of nonprofit work is. That's one thing. So that's the passion part. The second thing I would encourage people to do is to pick a really good nonprofit. You know, an organization that's been doing it for a long time and really well, that has the structure in place. Get involved with that organization so you can see how it's done. Because if you only figure out what your passion is, but you don't have any sort of guide about best practices, then you kind of stumble your way to what might be just sort of okay practices. But if you get involved with the larger organization, then that will help. And I'll give you a concrete example. So, you know, years ago, I enjoyed helping the elderly. And then I saw organizations that were helping with children and then pets and then homeless people. And then you can segment it even further. You can look at children in particular kinds of education. And so what I figured out for myself is that I really enjoyed helping children and still the elderly. And what I was fortunate to do later in life that I figured out was to get involved with an organization like Florida Hospital. Mm-hmm. And so Florida Hospital, whatever you your perception is you know, from the outside, for their foundation work, it's exceptional. Mm-hmm. And the support that they provide for children in the NICU and the idea around that organization is trying to improve the level of health care in the community so that you don't have to leave and go elsewhere to get your treatment. I heard a local official with Orange County saying something similar the same way, which was he wants to build the kind of community here where our children, when they graduate, can have Orlando in the Central Florida area as an ultimate destination for returning, raising their families, having jobs. But he said he wants to help create a community where people want to come back. When you get involved with an organization that's doing it really well, whatever that is for you, you get an idea about what's possible, what can be done. And so those are the two things I would suggest. One, figure out by exploring, you know, what you really put your, put your passion is. And then the second one is find a good organization that to get involved with so you can properly benchmark. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking time to talk with me today and sharing your knowledge so freely. I learned a lot, especially around thinking through the more practical side of nonprofit work. And I think it's beneficial, especially when you are trying to be civically engaged. Sometimes the passion leads before anything else, your heart leads, but kind of pulling back and thinking through some of these things, I think will ultimately help us be more successful long term. So thank you so, so much. 
I can't thank you enough for the opportunity to come and talk with you. I really enjoyed visiting with you. I appreciate you giving me a voice to you know, help get the word out to more people.